All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Lily Lewis, the folk rock diva herself. She is a singer, songwriter, composer, producer, performing artist, and activist. Through the inspiration of silence, Lily uses her classically trained background in opera singing and piano playing, combined with the forms of folk, to reach a form of folk that resonates spiritually and culturally. Lily has a new album coming out called Americana. comes out October 29th on all streaming platforms. We're going to listen to the track, If It Were You, off Americana. I don't know anything about what it would take To make a father pull his daughter out of school And say, today we're going far away Never to return to God's way We will cross more than a thousand miles Before our journey's over Through the river, over hills There will be moments when you feel you can't go on a moment longer But you're stronger than you think You must be stronger than you think you are One day you'll understand That sometimes in order to survive You risk it all That swallows bodies whole Bodies and their babies Become fodder for our ratings And discarded long before It became possible to name them all Impossible to name Any of their names at all I can't tell you what to think And I can't tell you what to do all I really think I'm wondering is What if it were
If it were you, off the album Americano, I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't tell you about Lily's podcast called Folk Rock Diva on all the podcast platforms. She takes a little, they're little episodic things, monologues, and they're really resident and packed with a lot of insight. And I recommend checking those out as well as checking out Lily's music. Um, if you can also like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, this one, Zig at the Gig, at all the po- on all the podcast platforms, helps me keep talking to inspiring guests and sharing their inspiration with you. So without further ado, here's my interview with Lily Lewis. We are, these are folks who have requested hard copies. And oh, so, I see, I see. So it's like a whole thing. We got to do an Office Depot run. We got to, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's just, uh, but it goes, the extra, uh, it goes the extra mile for sure. Having the physical thing and being able to really look at what you're, what you're talking about, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those people. I'm like, I'm hardcore into the physical copy. So I have no disdain for those who still, you know, choose that path, you know, but sometimes, you know, you can't give a CD away anymore. Sometimes you're like, no, I right. just, just don't bring it to me. So, so I mean, I'm always like, <laughs> that's are you, a are you, are you into vinyl? I, you know, I'm not into vinyl. Like I heart vinyl. I do have a record player. I do like my favorite thing is to find dollar and $2 classical records that like you know of performances that like just feel like better when they're like all scratchy and old sounding right. like <laughs> it's like the problem with me and vinyl is my budget you know <laughs> yeah. um, you know so it's like you know I, I, I you know we all we're all doing what we can is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Uh, definitely, and like I, I don't know. There's some, there's some things like, well, one vinyl, vinyl's great, and it, it, it's that experience, right? But it does take right. up that, it, it takes up space, and like, um, and there's, there's so many, there's so much affordable, and like, there's an abs, like an absurd amount of classical records, you right. know, like, right. So it's easy to find, like, really good. I, okay, it's not easy to find. It's, it, but it's a, it's exciting to find really good classic records that are like classical right. records in like the dollar because right. no one knows what to do with them, I guess. Right, uh, <laughs> right. I t- like no, they're like, uh, like most of the time they're like on the floor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, you know, I'm like, all right, I'll just hang out down here for a while, and you're just, you know, you're looking through. I mean, last time I was, uh, uh, last time I was on a hunt, I found this like amazing Messiah recording that like, it's like you know, a definitive performance. And it was like a book. And like, I felt, I felt like 10 records like that. And one, one time I was like looking through a giveaway bin yeah. and I found a brand new recording of Elizabeth. No, was it Elizabeth Schwarzkopf? Yeah. It's Elizabeth Schwarzkopf singing the Richard Strauss four last songs, which is like my favorite recording of this, of that, of that music. And like it's in a freaking giveaway being like wah, wah. like right. Like, <laughs> I don't it's, I don't think people know what the how to even organize it. You know like right do, do right. I, do I put this with the other concertos? Like you know what I mean like right. it's right. like uh, it's it, I don't know and, and it's it's kind of like when uh, people go to classical performances and clap in between. You know like right. It's weird how that uh, uh I guess standard call uh concert culture like kind of like 
really overshadowed it. Now, oh, yeah. Um, to kind of dive into your history, like just to jump <laughs> into it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a big, uh, like how many paths can we go in one conversation? I love so it. yeah, Let's you'll have to rein it in. Yes. <laughs> tangent, tangent city. Here we go. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, but you started with classical, what kind of like with piano, right? So what kind of, right. what, uh, what made the piano like, uh, your voice of, of choice, I guess, like what, what brought that out? Well, I mean, you know, I think I was, I think I was just mesmerized by the sound from a really young age. Like, you know, I think my first exposure to piano would have either been my father's church or um, my sister. She, you know, she was three years older than me and she started taking lessons. They got her a piano and they brought it into the room. I think it's a combination of the two. And they kind of made her um, take piano lessons. Um, and then she would come home and try to practice, and then I could play everything that she could play without the lessons, you know? Mm. And I think, I think I was just, I mean, honestly, at my dad's church, after every service, I would go up to the piano and just play one note at a time and, like, lean in so I could be like, okay, how does that one go? Mm. How does that one go? And every note was magical to me, and I'll tell you the truth. Just in telling you that right now, I got the same chills that I got when I was a kid, when I was three years old. You know, like it was like you know some kids go up and bang on the piano. I went up and played one note at a time, <laughs> and I still pretty much play one note at a time. Um, but yeah, like it was just. Uh, I mean, it's really hard to articulate. Like I think, but I think guitarists get it too. Like you know, if you're a natural born guitarist, the first time you hear it, you're like, "What's that?" And then the first time it's in your hands, you're like, "Okay, I'm home. Like I'll be doing this for the rest of my life," you know. And it's it's simply that. And I think, you know, the other thing is I'm I am an outrageously shy person, and um, the piano gave me a friend. You know, like I'd stay home from school all the time just so I could hang out with my piano, like and play all day. Like, I mean, it's it's just been a life born obsession. And I don't know that there's any real, you know, linear, reasonable explanation for it. No, there doesn't have. That's beautiful. There doesn't have to be <laughs> just being around. It's in, and, um that's interesting. Like one, that's amazing that it brought back the the same chills. But like, um giving each note its own space and voice and like aura not too many kids but like um i see a lot of kids then the they slap it you know what i mean cuz yeah. there's this there's this tendency of oh it works you just push down right right there's, <laughs> you know there's no hidden uh, uh, uh guitar you got to kind of and violin you got to hold it a certain way but with piano it's just kind of and drums it's just kind of hit it you know it works i get this yeah yep. um <laughs> But I don't. I don't think I've ever seen any of my students really taking each note like that. And I think that's like a, that's a that's a really profound thing because each note has like its own um, weight to it. And like it, it takes. I think it's even with years of people who play music and practice it, and like to even get that kind of perspective of it. That's pretty profound to have from the rip. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like. It, every every note it was almost like I was trying to memorize like the qualities of you know of every note and it's like you know and you get older and you're like oh so many pianos so many tones so many sounds so many you know um but 
but that was the that was the heart of the mystery for me. But I always had music in my head. Like my mother loves to tell the story of like when I also was three, I made everybody stop what they were doing to come into our fancy living room, like with the white carpet and the covered furniture and like and sit and watch me play air piano because this is before we actually had the piano. I was like I was playing my own little concerto in my head and like moving my fingers around and they were all like, this is very awkward. We are afraid for our child. <laughs> and so they tried to save me and they started clapping and I was like, I'm not done yet. Like, you know? And it was like, yeah, this one is, this one is weird. Like, you know? Um, so I don't think, Again, I really just feel like I came into the world with, like, those resonances ringing in my ears. I don't, you know, it's, I've just never had a day where that love wasn't there. You know, I've certainly had days where I felt like it was unrequited love, but, you know, <laughs> but it's love just the same. Right. Now, when did, so, like... When did it go from kind of like seeing what your sister was doing and like kind of catching on to that really quickly to kind of running it for yourself? Was there a point when she kind of like gave up on it or like when you just kind of took over? Yeah, my sister didn't have much interest at all. Um, so she gave on up on it pretty quickly. I, um, it took me a couple of years to find a teacher cause nobody wanted to teach a three-year-old. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's the age. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but luckily my mom was diligent and she eventually found, found someone to take me on. And I remember it being like a six month audition process. Like, you know, is this going to be worth my time to even take on a five-year-old? Um, and you know, my sister had been taking lessons at her school, but my mom went out of her way to try to find a teacher who would, like, accommodate my heightened curiosity, you know? Yeah. Um, and so for that, I'm very thankful. And I, I played all the time. Even, like, even before I had lessons, I was composing and trying to get my mom to transcribe it for me, even though she hadn't had lessons at that point in, like, you know, 25 years and she could barely remember how to write stuff down, but it meant something to me to be able to look at it and have some representation mm. of what it is I was playing. So like, so from a very early age, I was making up my own shit as it were. Um, and, and I think, I think because, you know, we were in and out of poverty, we didn't, it was hard to, afford lessons consistently. Um, like I'm, I ended up being largely self-taught. So during, during the season, during the lean seasons, um, you know, I would either try to teach myself what I had left in the books that hadn't already been covered, or I would be writing my own music or I'd take, you know, music that we might be singing in choir in middle school or something and like go home and try to like figure out how to play that stuff. So mm. I just, I, I just always trying to use whatever material was around me to see what else, you know, to see what else I could learn. Um, then I went to like a 
fancy New England boarding school, and they had an extraordinary music program. Um, and they saw my enthusiasm and and funded my lessons. So I actually got to have some lessons there that I didn't have to pay for myself. You know, it's just like I started working when I was 12, like, you know, teaching the um, neighborhood kids. Like I had a, a tutor program and I had a, uh, you know, babysitting program. And, and then I also had a couple of, I even had a couple of piano students at that time. Wow. Um, and I was doing all of that to kind of help out with the household, but also right. to fund my piano lessons, you know. Um, and my mother worked all the time, so I had to get myself to the piano lessons and, like, you know, take three buses to get there. And by the time I got to high school, you know, I uh, I started taking cabs to get there. Like, I just leave school because I, I would just schedule lessons. <laughs> And leave school to go to lessons because it was the only, I, it was just the only thing I liked. It was the only yeah. thing I could focus on. It's the only thing I cared about. So it's been a, a self-driving engine for, um, you know. Yeah, clearly for a long time. Yeah. Well, that like one one that's one thing that I find really profound about it is like a lot of a uh, lot of kind of classically trained pianists don't start kind of composing their own stuff from the rip like you did. So it's almost like that that kind of like absence of like the next uh, lesson, next chapter gave you time to process what you just learned and being able to express yourself with it, which is. Uh, well, I, the truth is, I started writing before I had learned anything. Right. Um, so I think that had times been different and had my life been different, like, you know, still to this day, I don't feel more myself um, in any other context than when I'm composing. And I consider composing a totally different activity than songwriting, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like composing is actually the realm where I feel my most authentic self, but it takes so much, it takes so many levels of circumstance that I haven't had um, access to, you know, it takes, I, I need, I need quiet and I need to not be responsible for 30 other people and I you know like I need <laughs> yeah um you know so many so many things to actually indulge that world but I I think that that's actually probably what I was born to um I just you know it's just been a long and windy road <laughs> yeah. it's so like with the headspace for like uh, composing is it kind of a melody that that sinks in or are you like or does it just start from silence and builds into a composition? I, so if I, my process tends to be that if I am still enough for long enough, like the natural precipitate of silence is music. So it can Melody. Sometimes it comes in with a rhythm mm-hmm. first, you know, like just some sort of, you know, driving motif that wants to be decorated. Sometimes it comes um, from because I, you know, because you were writing instrumentally is one thing, but like setting um, texts is another thing, you know. And so sometimes it comes from meditating on the text um, and letting its meaning fall into you and try to determine how to, you know, what what musical language will express that meaning. 
Um, but it's it's a it's a deep listening thing. And I once heard a poet describe it um, describe her process as tracking your joy. So there's a, a sense of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, like when what you're you're listening to nothing and things and things show up. Um, and as things start to show up, you, you start to listen to relationships. Okay. Well, I have that line. Well, how do I want to decorate that line? How do, you know, what, what does that need, um, in order to like, you know, kind of explicate other dimensions of meaning around this one idea. So it's, it's, um, for me, because my, training didn't take me into hardcore composition training my um my process is still very organic it's still you know it's still precipitate from silence you know that's beautiful it's like because i've always like um personally like when i've tried to do like uh because i went to csu the study music therapy and we dove into that a little bit but like uh, with composition, I always had trouble not playing something. Like I always, you know, what I mean, like I, I needed to remind myself of the melody. Now, does that kind of like, uh, is that where the split from composition, the songwriting, is for you? Um, <laughs> there's. Let's see. Let's let's let's. I've never I've never tried to answer this question. So let's give it a go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um. Okay, so for me, songwriting is interesting. When I first started songwriting, um, the process was more connected to my composition process. It was very like, okay, let's try to find let's let's try to find the things that other people won't say, you know, musically speaking, right? right? And maybe lyrically speaking, when I'm writing my own lyrics, you know. Um, I think over time, I learned too much about how other people's songs are put together. And so now there's more of other people's, you know, input or more of like the industry or more of, you know, it's like there's more context, you know, to writing a song. So like, you know, I'll get an idea and I'll be like, okay, well, where's that going? You know, what kind of, what kind of genre is this landing in? Or, you know, I follow the idea, but then I, you know, I take information from the genre. And to be honest, um, I feel like that's a little bit lazy. I, I don't, I don't like it as much. Like I'm, I'm frustrated because I'm like, oh man, another trope, who needs it? You know, right. <laughs> like, leave that to everybody else, you know? Um, but at the same time, there's the benefit of making music in community. Um, and I think that's what put me on that path, um, of kind of taking the information that's already out there. It's because I would bring my weird songs to people and people didn't have the bandwidth to learn them, you know, like, it's just like busy. I got a gig. And so I started having to try to, find a way to write some music that other people would also play with me because, you know, it's lonely out there. (laughs) Um, And so I I know that that's kind of what started that kind of trend. Um, And so now I think what I would prefer 
would be to have a balance, you know, mm. my weird language that takes harder, like that takes more effort to learn. And then also the stuff that feels like community just right off the bat. Um, and I think with the band that I've been playing with most recently, they, they're really an extraordinary ensemble. They will work with anything I bring to them. Um, and it's, it took me several years to learn to trust that. Um, but it's, it's such a luxury, you know, yeah. um, they're like, Oh, mixed meters. Oh, I don't know these. <laughs> like, ah, no, who cares? You know, it's just like, let's do it. You know, <laughs> that's amazing. That's, I think that was a beautiful explanation of it because like, there's kind of like, there's like this comfort with form, you know, mm -hmm. like if you know how something's going to go, you feel like you're, you're able to have that conversation or maybe or you feel like you have a voice in that conversation because you kind of know the, the, the narrative or the plot a little bit. Um, but with composition, it seems to be that I think he, I think that was a great answer for that because it seems <laughs> like that's such a, a, it can go anywhere and be anything and. Right, so, like diving out of those uh, classical records, there was a, that's that's that like that's why they're I guess it, it not like is a uh, is categorized because no one knows how to do it. The, right, like it kind of goes back to the the crate digging we were talking about. But um, wow, okay, cool. So um, which one's orange? <laughs> um, I would have to say that my songs are more orange and my my composition like language is more mauve. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's beautiful. Like I did you, going back to that first time like kind of feeling each note of the piano did was there accompanied kind of like hue to that? Um I remember back then I've always, I, you know, I'm not like, I don't know that I'm a synesthetic musician to that extent, you know, like okay. I'm not, you know, like a Glenn Gould is like, I mean, I definitely have keys that had colors, um, but I don't know, like, I remember like that A440 range A mm -hmm. feeling very yellow. I remember that G always felt very green. I mean, no. G always felt very blue. C always felt very red. Mm. You know, E always felt very orange. And I've never like, I've never seen anybody, anybody else's color map that matches mine. You know, That's, so wow. so I was like, maybe I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think in like that sense, it's very unique to you. Mm -hmm. um, but what what I found interesting is when you're laying out those colors, like. Um, I, for my, for my uh, music class, I'll color code a lot of things. Cause I, I don't, I don't necessarily want my, my students to, to f hyper focus on reading. I want them to express and play. So I'll mm -hmm. color code the sheet music. So it's easier to jump into being, uh, expressive with music. And, um, yeah. the, the, I found like, I start C's red. <laughs> Okay. All right. Cool. Blues, uh, G's blue. So it was hitting a lot of uh, E. I think I, I put that at yellow, but orange is a D. So it was very close, only a step off. Like, oh, wow. That's, but uh, I've never really seen the, the, the kind of color aspect myself of it other than that. But that's, I think that's a, that, that's why maybe it resonates so deeper that that space is so profound for you. Like, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, when 
when you get that excited, like so many parts of your brain light up that, that all these extra connections, I think it's gorgeous that you, that you are leaning into this expressivity, you know, end of things. Um, so first, because, because so many talented musicians forget the meaning, like they forget, um, they forget why underneath it all especially like as you become accomplished like people get a little bit vain about it and then they all and there are also also these expectations that come with it both are terrible like underneath it all like this is a sacred technology that we use to feel connected to the world connected to each other we use it for problem solving and emotion regulation it's like one of our first languages it taps into the oldest part of our brain it's like Nah, we don't want to replace that with vanity, you know. Right. <laughs> like, and we don't... beautifully said, yeah. So, wow. so, yeah, that's um. So, like, when you kind of like uh, the kind of go back to the narrative here. When you um left high school and when it went and like went to a uh, study opera and classic like a uh, classical piano in like uh the next level, what was a was it kind of a bigger jump jumping into like a a school like that or was it? It sounds like you were so self-determined from the beginning, there was no kind of stopping this from happening. Like, the fact that you're making businesses to help out at home, there's, <laughs> like, the DIY punk rock mentality was born in you, and that's right. the coolest. <laughs> that's the Those are the, the, the people that are the heroes, and that's so cool. So, like, when you go to study, like, a, a more, like, kind of a... Like, a music school is kind of a rigid. Like, and I think what you just said kind of, like, brings that out. Like, uh, was there, like, a weird, like, because to study opera, you got to, like, learn three languages. And, like, uh, was there was there a weird adjustment, or was it just so enthused that this was it? Um, it was, it was uh, utter enthusiasm. Like, I had no resistance to the languages. Like, I was always, like, and, like, luckily I had an ear for them. And so it just felt amazing to hold these words and these other shapes in your mouth and, like, learn how to, like, how to really try to be expressive in a tongue that is foreign to you. Like, I had no resistance to that. I, you know, my first experience, like, singing classically was in a middle school um uh, all state chorus. Well, in middle school chorus, I, I was in band. I played the drums in band, but after school, there was a select chorus um, that, like, luckily I got into. It's like I tried to be in so many choirs growing up, and they're like, oh, you're too young, or oh, you're too quiet, or oh, you're too da 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 da. Um, and so I tried, you know. And, and finally, I got into one. And by the time I got into one, I, I taught myself how to sight read and you know, everything. So I was an asset. I could hold a pitch. I could sight read. I was an asset. I managed to get into Allstate Chorus. And um, uh, and they gave us maybe six pieces to learn um, that we were going to go off and sing with 200 other kids and um, from around the state. And <laughs> there was this like must have been an early 17th century motet um, by a still obscure composer that ended up on our list. And uh, at that time, you know, like I learned, I memorized everybody's parts. Like I was that kid, you know, (laughs) um, 
Um, and uh, so when we got there, uh, <laughs> we were having trouble with the ensemble. And I was getting really mad. I was just like, what? You don't know what everybody else is doing? Because that that way of part writing is, you know, it's all relationships. Everything's right. inter interacting and and i was like what's going on this is supposed to be the best of the best what's going on people you know? and the way they made us um listen to each other is they had us stand in a circle around the concert hall 200 kids like maybe 12 13 14 at the oldest uh, they turned the lights off and they had us sing it from memory and I mean I mean like <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. that's intense so, so right exactly like my little brain was like yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so by the time I got to a boarding school where that kind of tradition was ordinary and I, like I could just like have all of it like <laughs> I was in like I was in the tiny ensemble that did early music. I was in the uh, you know the moderate ensemble that did like cantatas and oratorios. I was in like the bigger ensemble that like did the bigger stuff. I did every op- every year they did two operas, one by a standard composer and one by a black composer. I was in all of it. Like That's I did, amazing. I could yeah. not get enough, you know. Um, and so yeah, like they were cramming music into us. Like, and this was not even a music school. It was just wow. a regular boarding school. Okay. But they were, I mean, I'm telling you, by the time I was 13, I had the alto and soprano part. I was a soprano, but I had the soprano and alto parts memorized for the entire Mozart Requiem. You know, it was just like <laughs> it was like it was such an intense environment. Um that like um hold on just a second. Um, you know. <laughs> so it's like, and then they're like, you got all these kids around you who are into it just like you are. It's like, yeah. Now, they were all way ahead of me, you know, right. but they also all really envied me because A, I learned everything so quickly and B, I loved it so much. <laughs> like, I, you know, like, yeah. they were like, wait, wait, what's happening here? So like, I, ne- I never missed a chamber recital. I never missed an orchestra concert. Like, I just... I was that. I even took work study. We all had to do work study there. I took work study work study at the record library, so that I, so that even while at work, I could be studying more music. Like, and like, I mean, it, it was honestly such a pure environment. Um, uh, hold on just a second. It was such a pure environment for like that level of enthusiasm because the head of the department at that time um, was just as childlike and like wild eyed about music as, you know, as I was. Um, and so I, I've never I've never had such a euphoric like realm to to operate in since then. Um, so. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. I think that that's it's it, your teacher's got to be enthused for you to be moved by it. And whatever it is, it's like even if it's trigonometry, um, if your teacher is ex- is excited is excited about how that works, it's easy enthusiasm and joy and it, it's contagious, right? 
But you right. came like for, you came into that ready to handle that level, and like you got to be around peers that are you know challenging and like uh, your sparring partner's got to know how to knock you down, but also how to you know cha- uh, you got to know how to challenge them too to make this this work. So that sounds like in a beautiful a beautiful environment to to especially for something as like um, like compared to like a, I mean everything's kind of rigid, but like as intense as a study and as vast and like there's so much that goes into learning classical music right and on in in, vo- in voice and in, in piano and whatever instrument there's so much that goes into it and a lot of people say it's rigid but i don't really think that's the right word for it there's just a lot of like um uh, prerequisites for approaching something like that and that may seem rigid but um so when you're you're in this environment and you're it, music's everywhere and everyone's enthusiastic about it i heard you uh i don't know if this is in the same context but i related to it um i think it was on your podcast you uh you said you felt embarrassed to practice at home and yeah. like because I, I i definitely felt that when you're trying to learn mm. vocal parts right or when you're just you're making weird like you're like can i hit that note you know you're trying to get to it and just prove to your vocally especially because you're trying to prove to yourself you can you can hit this this motif or this little lick or whatever but to the outside world it's like what is going on in there right (laughs) was it well so at home um what I was embarrassed about was was practicing piano because Mm. everybody would always tell me to shut up like (laughs) but um but when it comes to singing, I never even bothered to practice in front of anybody else, because, especially when it came to classical singing, because I was just like, there's nothing but haters for opera, like right. nothing but right. haters for opera. And like the sounds that you have to make are ridiculous. Yeah. You know? And like, and they're loud, like you're right. trying to fill your entire body with all of your life force. And, you know, you want to animate all of your bones. You want everything to resonate. It's freaking loud. And nobody is here for it. Everybody, <laughs> wants, you know, it's like, and I get, I get the same when I try to teach voice, like all of my, you know, everybody's trying to be so pretty. And luckily I had a teacher um, who was not apologetic about asserting that pretty was boring to him. He's like, we're not doing anything if all you do is come here and sing pretty. Like, mm. we're doing beautiful, but on the way to beautiful, we need to jump off a cliff and do awkward, you know? <laughs> what we need right. to do, we need to find what feels the most awkward and show you how to offer it integrity, you know? And then we can cross over into beautiful, you know? And it's just like, Man, like, and that's, that's a process, you know, like that is, that is a process. And I think, I think studying voice is maybe the most confronting instrument you can work with. Like, I, you know, I think, especially like, like for somebody like me, I I was a trauma kid. So I had all this extra, like grief embedded in my body. And then you, you sing a melody and it reaches a part of your body that you had cut off because you had mm. stored your grief there. Right. And, and I just like, just be bawling and have no idea why, you know? Um, and so it was, it was a wild, wild 
and outrageously rewarding process to go through that crucible, you know. Um, and you really have to have someone who believes in you uh, enough to make you feel that they that you can trust them with your ugly and right. your awkward, you know, on the way to whatever extraordinary thing you might be able to do. And I just I think all bodies are able to do extraordinary things with their voices. Um, but it just takes an awful lot of trust. There's a lot of trust, you know. I, I had a teacher who we could spend a whole lesson on one measure, either just working the transition of vowels or maybe when you get past that, like working a transition from a vowel to a consonant, uh, working a transition, you know, from one part of your register to another. I mean, and it was so rewarding because, look, it's just like how I started, right? Like one note at a time. This is yeah, like, yeah. Is the through line with that, it's well, it, it's it, it with the vocal, like it's like you said it beautifully. It's so confronting on yourself, and like, but there, there's no better like um, self knowledge study than something like that because the payoff is right there when it is, and like especially with opera because like how you're saying you you really got to hold your diaphragm in the right place and you got to project in a certain way and like. It does. It's it's amazing when it kind of fills that your whole being and like no yeah. one else really experiences that until it's put in a certain context. You know what I mean? Right. Like you experience that learning that and someone's got to see that. Oh, you almost got that. Um, but it, it's a beautiful way to start kind of like a I think how you, you phrased it in a different way and maybe in a different context, but like kind of owning your aspects in a mm. very beginning way to like just kind of like feel where these. Uh, just how things resonate with you. Um, that's a, I, I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. So like the kind of like the kind of build into this, um, we, coming from this kind of trained background and this beautiful, like sense of, uh, like diving into like working through yourself and trying to compose who you are. Right. right. And learning how composition works on paper learning how it works emotionally, learning how it works with the, the rest of like, what you're doing at that time um when did the like was it with the shiz was it when you met your wife that that uh this like other like form of like songwriting and rock music like uh like can you kind of describe that transition from this kind of like realm of like very uh like prerequisite uh required kind of like knowledge of music to like uh, a little more like uh folk and rock and like just more expressive in a way. Um, I love that you came to this conversation fully informed. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been excited to talk with you. You're, you're a quite inspiring individual. So like, Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, okay. So it, it happened in stages. It happened in widening circles. The first thing that happened, um, was that, uh, I, one of my teachers at that boarding school was retiring and I was invited to come up and sing for her retirement ceremony. And I sang some class. I, I actually sang a spiritual, um, but, uh, there was another person, another alum who had graduated maybe eight years before me or something who was kind of famous. She was in this band called the story, 
Um, and she sang, which is like kind of a New England Indigo Girls. Mm. Um, but she sang a song with her guitar that just seemed like magic. You know, it's just like, what is happening here? <laughs> and like, that was my introduction to the whole genre of singer-songwriter. And I was like, whatever that is, I have a feeling that's where this is. That's where I'm going. You know, I just I just thought it was totally magical. So that's the first thing that happened. Um, but uh, at the same time or shortly before that, um, my my father died and I had a lot of unresolved grief and like I had sort of a break. And um, when I could write because I used to write a lot, but when I, but during that season, I couldn't write much at all. Um, oh, actually, my father died before this. So let me put it back in chronological order. Father died. I started writing in a tiny notebook, like tiny thoughts. Um, I had a break. I couldn't do anything. Right. Um, I couldn't write. I started writing small thoughts in a very small notebook and when i say very small notebook it was like maybe two inches tall like it was a very small notebook. yeah okay. and that's all i could do for about a year and like songs started to show up during that season i, I dropped out of school during that time also so when i went back to school um i you know threw myself back into classical studies, but this other thing had emerged while I was down, you know? And so when I saw Jennifer, Jennifer, Jennifer Kimball play, you know, at that other thing, you know, um, I was like, that's, that's like this other thing that showed up Mm. when I was down, you know, like, and that's why I felt, you know, kind of compelled to find out more what that was about. So, like, after I left undergrad, I went to um, I went back to Boston um, because that's where she was. And I'd heard that there was a community of people doing what she did. And I just wanted to know more about that. Um, and at the time, like, I was I just kept writing my weird songs, you know, um, I just and and like, you know, some of it was jazz oriented, even though I didn't know anything about jazz. And some of it was, you know, like it was just some of it sounded like some of the like my obsession with um, classical piano, like kind of hovers around like turn of the last century French music. And so I borrowed from that harmonic palette a lot when, so, you know, because that's what had spoken to me. So that was kind of what I was using to express my own thoughts. And, um, and, uh, and in Boston, that was fine. It's a heady city. Every, you know, it's <laughs> like, like, you know, anything goes, that's cool. Um, but then I started feeling compelled like to revisit, kind of the earthier vibes of the South where I grew up, you know, I also had a very deep connection with Sweet Honey and the Rock. And so like anything where I felt like that old wisdom was showing up, um, like I, I, I I wanted to chase that down. And that's what made me, um, that's what made me move back South. So I moved back South and that's when I started playing with, 
musicians that that had sort of a context. Like I was in a jazz hip hop band, um, you know, in Atlanta, that kind of thing. Um, And I still doing my own thing. And whenever I had to, um, whenever I had to, um, like, whenever I started hearing stuff that I knew nobody else would play with me, I would sort of extract myself from the scene and I would find like some remote place to go. Like I had a, a basement in, in uh, Connecticut with some friends where they put me up and let me, you know, write weird songs again or, or do some composition again. Or, or at some point I, I ended up at a Buddhist retreat center out in Colorado uh, and made an acapella out, you know, it's just like, so right. I would just, myself when I needed to um but you you brought up the shiz the shiz was born a very difficult situation but it ended up being outrageously fun like I okay I I gotta double back for a second (laughs) while I was in Boston I was also teaching voice and my absolute favorite student was a metal singer and I was like oh these are the only people who are using their bodies the energy in their bodies like opera yeah and so i was just like yeah <laughs> like this place for me you know and so like i i you know and i you know grew up loving tina turner and yeah 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 so i always felt like i had that in my body i just hadn't found the right you know the right place to do it and here i am you know like you know my wife was a guitarist and um and she needed some music therapy. Uh, you can relate to that. <laughs> That's your field. She, I, and I know that it's not the same. Yeah. But yeah, what but... she needed was to find a path back to herself. Hmm. And, you know, and she was writing these cool, edgy songs. And, you know, I was the only other musician in her life. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, let's do this together. Um, and we fought a band and it was like amazing. Like by the end of it, like we just had all the right people. We all loved each other so much. And it was just like, it was, it was like the closest thing to a real adolescence that I had. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like, Oh, this is what we do. If we just do it together, we call it the band bubble, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. anything, you know? Um, uh, but the trouble is that it worked. Like she grew up, you know, and she started to like, you know, get a real job. And now she teaches writing at the University of New Orleans. Like, you know, it's just like, eh. You know? like, <laughs> That's awesome. That's a cool job. Right. But, uh, it's a good. It's a really solid job. Like she's a really good poet. Like it's a really solid job. <laughs> but it was like I was having the time of my life. And, um, but yeah, that was, that was where I think, I think you hit the nail on the head that that's where community, that sense of community became a big part of the story. I think up until that point, I didn't trust people enough Mm. to lean into that. And I do think that the fact that it was Liz and her work that I was trying to support, um, allowed me to lean into the chest because I wanted her to lean into trusting me. Um, and uh, like, ultimately we ended up with a super ensemble that like, we're all kind of had that emotional intelligence to just like, you know, just, just be a team. And, um, so we brought that, that was, that was kind of, um, 
in the red country of Louisiana. Um, and then we moved to blue country of Louisiana, which is New Orleans. Um, and we brought that sort of energy with us to New Orleans when the drummer from that band um, followed me over into my current band. Um, and we just, you know, went about trying to find people who would bring that kind of um, that same sense of camaraderie and right. um, humility and, you know, emotional intelligence. And, and I think, I think we've done pretty good. <laughs> uh, well, I agree with that, with, with diving into So, so that's when you started kind of doing your own uh, records and your own career that way. Yeah, I had done, I, I, I've done my own stuff throughout. Like, okay. Okay. So during, when... During the Shiz years, I did a Spirituals album. I did another a cappella record, um, and and then was doing Shiz stuff in in the meantime. And a lot of the same musicians um, from the Shiz also <laughs> were the core of the Spirituals record. We're all atheists, and like you know, <laughs> we put our heart into that Spirituals record. Yeah. So I still, you know, I I was doing my own stuff before, and uh, but it was like. <laughs> After the shiz broke up, I uh, I kind of collapsed in on myself for about a year, and I took a job uh, at this record label that I'm currently running. Um, a, a local mentor sort of put me up for this job, and I was just like, "Who wants that?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm a composer. I'm a writer. I, I don't want a job. Yeah. Um, Who's the, who was it? Who was the, uh, who was the mentor? Mm -hmm. His name is Eric Cager. Mm -hmm. um, and he runs this um, music business conference here called the Cutting Edge um, Music Business Conference and had been doing it for maybe 25 years at the time. Um, and he found the shiz, thought we were an awesome band, um, and then he learned more about me, and uh, he's like, okay, well, this person can do a lot more than just play in a folk rock band. Um, and so he referred me to his college friend from Tulane, a guy named Harris Ray. Harris Ray was, uh, and that last name spelled R-E-A, if you're, <laughs> you're okay. trying to keep up. But he was this amazing um uh, musical entrepreneur in the city. He was a nerd. He was a chemistry nerd who had been like recruited for, you know, science programs all over the country. He was looking at like MIT and Harvard and yada, yada, yada. He came to New Orleans, fell in love with the city, uh, fell in love with the activism. And he's like, okay. And, and fell in love with the music. He's like, I'm going to do New Orleans. So while he was here, he started uh, a record store on campus that still exists. Uh, he became a concert promoter, first guy to bring Neil Young to New Orleans. Wow. He started another record store, which his family still owns, it's like biggest record store in the, in town and the longest running record store uh from one family in the country. Um, and then he started a distribution company that distributed all the like nineties hip hop that was like, that started that reputation of hip hop moguls, like, you know, make being in charge of the music, but like getting a uh, major label distribution, like that was his business model. Um, and so that was folks like master P and Mia X and yeah. like that. Whole crowd. Um, and then he started, 
this label, Louisiana Red Hot, so that he could do the same thing for non-hip-hop artists. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's just this remarkable guy. Right, right. He's dying. This is what happens. He's dying. He got throat cancer after wow. Katrina. Yeah. And the uh, the cure from that gave him a rare form of leukemia that only 150 people in the world had. And he fought it off for 11 years. And I met him maybe, well, he fought it off for 13 years. And I met him 11 years into that. And so everybody knows he's dying and everybody wants to learn from this guy. And everybody's like, Lily, you're it. You got to do it. I don't care what you're doing. Like, you're it. And yeah. we, I had just landed in the city, but yeah. I had already kind of made a name for myself. As, I didn't tr- I didn't mean to, but people just noticed immediately. They're like, oh, she's not le- lazy. She works. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, man. So they're like, it's that's that's your charge now. You got to do that. And so um that so I threw myself into that for the first year um, because uh oh hold on what's happening here no worries I I threw myself yeah into that for the first year because there was no interest in my weird ass music um at that label at all um and uh <laughs> which is interesting because that's where I release all my music now but <laughs> <laughs> but that's a like. I can't, after hearing your history, there's probably no one better for that job. (laughs) (laughs) He told, he literally told about six months in, he's just like, if you had put on your resume all that you can actually do, well, I would have never called you. I would have just called bullshit. (laughs) Uh, uh, So, um, so anyway, uh, that to say, I spent a year not making music. I was like, right. the shiz was broken up, and I couldn't. I didn't know what to do. Um, and then I got kind of soul sick, and was just like, okay, well, uh, um, hold on, don't need. Uh, it's like I was doing this at my gig last night. It's just like you know things coming in from the distributor, things coming out, and I'm just like, so it's always the same. Okay, you're a one-person team. You gotta like, you gotta respond because that means a lot. You know when you get that response, how much that means when it's boom, boom. Well, like I'm not even just responsible for myself, right? Exactly. So it's like, okay, we got to keep it rolling no matter what. (laughs) Okay. And I do very much appreciate your patience on all of that. Okay. It's all good. So that's in, you know, at the end of that first year um, working for Red Hot, I decided, well, Lily, you got to sing. You're going to get sick if you don't sing. You're going to get sick if you don't play. Um, <clears throat> so I started, this is when the Orange, Se- Orange Music Series was born. I started just sort of like piecing together my own narrative, like just trying to breathe life back into myself. Probably trying to do the same thing we were trying to do to Liz, uh, do for Liz when we started the shiz. Um, and, I, and I just was making music that made sense to me, um, trying to reclaim my story. And and I was working with um, like a coach at the time who's just who's said something about, you know, like asked me, like, what color, you know, my person is like, you know, just basically trying to give me a sense of self. And I was like, oh, that's easy. Orange, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so music showed up. I was just like, oh, yeah, I do see this as orange music because it's like 
I know that my path has been hard enough that I am connecting to blues. Um, like I'm, I'm connecting to a thread of blues in a way that I wasn't doing in the early years at all. I knew nothing of blues at all. I had, you know, no real interest. You know, I, you know, thought uh, I had read Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and I thought that she, she must have been a formidable human, but I just knew nothing of that language. And yet everybody, because I was a fat black lady, everybody expected me to be a blues singer. And that was scary for me. Um, uh, but what I found is that the blues culture around here um, is very connected with like alcohol consumption, a lot of addiction, a lot of, you know, a lot of these other things. And, um, the music is so powerful, um, but it was dealing with like a different resonating center than what I was dealing with. That's just like, you know, but we are, I did feel connected to that tree. You know, I became, I came to feel connected to that tree. Um, and I was like, okay, well, we're, a, we're a more sober, distant cousin of the blues. And when I noticed that, I noticed there was a through line, like there were folks like Odetta, um, folks like, uh, um, uh, sister Rosetta Tharp Mm -hmm. who, you know, did sacred music just as much as anything else and was a rock star in her time. There were people like, uh, blind Willie Johnson, who was a gospel blues musician. You know, it's like, I, you know, even on up through Nina Simone, whose work was so like, you know, social justice oriented, um, like all I was like, oh, there is a through line for exactly who I am. Um, And it doesn't have a genre anymore because people aren't doing it anymore. You know, it's like. uh, And so I just made one for myself (laughs) so that so that I could feel so that I could feel my context. And even outside of all of that stuff, there are uh, musicians like Phoebe Snow, who was like, who had like just as much capacity to be a strong band leader. She's a great musician outside of being a great writer and a great singer. I felt a, a through line there. And then there were people like Laura Nero who like, who's fully expressed. Like she's the one that holds space for my weird songs, you know? Uh, like that was that was how I, I stayed in that vein, um, you know, or or stayed present to that vein. So like I was, I I just built my own lineage, you know, um, and that's that's why I say my songwriting is more orange. <laughs> okay, no, it makes you know it's it's I I, I should have dove into some of the, like the kind of context of orange, just as a color. Um, but like um, it's interesting because like blues music. Well, kind of even step it back. Like I feel like classical music is so like kind of based on the pure essence of like just notes and like uh, you, you know what i mean like it, i feel like if you had to like sum down the skills there's a lot of uh focus on like melody harmonic relations and like um the rhythm of it like the, there's so much of just the pure essence of some of the elements of music that's hyper focused in like classical music and not that they're not in other musics but like uh, when you dive into blues music, the context is so one four five. There's no, you know, the form is right there. There's, there's automatic comfort, and like because they're all dominant, you can do so many things on top of it, right? You could play like, you could play a major scale in a way. You just have to flat the seventh, you know, what I mean? like, and it, it it allows for so much, um, so much uh, things that don't make sense why they work to work, 
that like mm-hmm. coming into it from like a, a perspective of kind of knowing more more intently how things are going to work like it makes sense why that would be like a little like kind of jarring to jump into and like i feel like it's because that form is so like uh so so used that like uh everyone has expectations of what's supposed to happen on the five chord even if they don't know it you know and like uh there's so there's a lot to kind of learn as far as like that language but um but it's amazing like i it, it, with how you described those different um, kind of influences, like when I was diving into some of your older records, like the Coming of John, I heard some like Nina Simone, and it makes uh, and like uh, the the classical component and her jazz component kind of makes sense, and it makes sense why uh, why why the the folk rock diva was born out of all these different influences, <laughs> and like the beauty of being able to say that and like define your own genre because like or not even define it just be comfortable enough to with yourself to say i have my own genre and then the you know the come out with the the folk rock diva like kind of like uh persona and just like you know that's such a beautiful like way to i, I mean never the composition's never done right uh, of yourself you're still learning but like right that's right. a that's a beautiful note to be at like <laughs> so when did like when did that kind of the folk rock diva realization from what you just kind of like described to finding your own space to have your own genre. When did that kind of like a, a, a title like kind of come to you? Cause I think that's a big deal being able to put, not to say put a label on it, but being able to define it for yourself. I think it's right. a, a huge, uh, uh, momentous like moment. Well, you know, it was, that's a folk rock diva was born during the shoes years because we were definitely a folk rock band and I didn't look like anybody else in the band. And I, and I brought this sort of like operatic approach to vocals and stuff. And, um, and so they, the band named me the folk rock diva. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And it was when the band, like when the band disappeared that I started defining it for myself. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of, my byline became, uh, and I'll tell you the other very practical reason why I leaned into folk rock diva. It's because my name is spelled funny. My mother named me Lily, but she spelled it L I L L I. It's been spelled everything else on everything <laughs> I've ever heard. Nobody ever spells it right. No, it's hard for people to find me if they liked what they saw at the show. And so I, at first it was, a very practical move. It's like people can hear those words, folk, rock, diva, four letters each, not that hard, you know. Right. Uh, this is how, you know, I'm going to let people find me. Um, but that moniker kept on giving. Like, eventually I was like, well, like w- so many people said that I wasn't folk, especially when when my band, my like the shiz wasn't around because like, when the shiz was around, and I'll just be honest, um, with white artists, you can be kind of whoever you say you are, and you're just dipping into other territories. With black artists, the industry tries to tell you who you are. Mm. And so I could sing the same song with a, you know, with the shiz as I sing with my band, and the shiz will be called folk rock, and my band will be called blues. Like, mm. 
yeah. same same song, half the same musicians, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But context changed everything, right? So I started to say, like, don't get it twisted. Like, this is folk music, and I've actually said that from the beginning because, like, my approach to jazz was very folky. My approach to even my like classical sounding songs was very folky. It was like, you know find a center, hover around it and see what it has to tell you, you know? Um, and so what I, what I started to say at the shows was it's folk because we sing songs for the people and it's rock because sometimes we get loud about it and the diva and changes depending on my mood. So sometimes <laughs> I'm like, well, when my, my, when my fro is big enough, the diva part is self-explanatory or sometimes I'll say, you know, like, I hope by now the deeper part is so explanatory if the show is going well, you know. Um, but but the diva part allowed me to integrate all that love that I had um, in my early life for, you know, that classical lens that was like my best friend for so long and still like fills me, you know. Um, and it also allowed me to... Um, work in that goddess realm where I, you know, I couldn't help but be preachy. I don't know if it's just inherited from my dad. I, you know, I don't know, but it, it allowed me to sort of embrace, um, you know, kind of these higher truths that were coming through. And so many of the songs about being decent with each other and taking responsibility for the world that we're trying to build, empowering each other. Like it, it allowed me to kind of lean into that role of being like a caregiver of people's spirits, whether it's through the music or just in life. Um, and like, it also allowed me, um, a space to try to lean in, in terms of evolving my own like personal growth. Like, like, you know, I have a lot of grief to work through and outgrow and like, in this diva space, allows me to to believe that I can do it, that I can continue to grow to as many, you know, um, levels of understanding and awareness is like, you know, like whatever this, this lifetime will permit, you know, I can keep growing. Um, and I never have to, and then it also, uh, sorry, I didn't finish this. It's like, I never have to, um, I never have to, put a straight jacket on it. Like I never have to um, hide my wings as it were. And then it also allows me to lean into my body. Like I have this goddess ancient body that this world has a tendency to want to negate or like our culture currently has no, um, no patience for fat bodies, you know? Um, But at some point in our history, fat bodies were sacred. And so that diva word allows me to lean into that truth as well. So it's not to just finding all these pockets of trying to learn how not to diminish myself on the other side of those who would try to impose, you know, any degree of limits on me. So it's become an incredibly important moniker um, when it started out as you know, this organic, um, uh, I don't know, convenience. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful. And how you said it's beautiful. And it's, it's interesting. Sometimes when you give yourself, um, a form, there's unlimited possibility of expression. Which is exactly what you were describing about the blues, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 
So like uh, that that one four five the the uh, uh, border, right? It, there's endless ways to define and express yourself within it. So it becomes I'd, meditation, right? And around that meditation, anything can happen. And I have to tell you. I, I believed for a long time that the blues was about the one, four, five. Um, but two things happened for me. One is I like I started listening to really early blues and I'm like, this stuff is weird. There's yeah. no one, four, five going on. There's like all kinds of things going on. There's no there's so much like variation even with if though even if those chords are being used, but sometimes they could like have infinite variation, expressive variation with just one chord, you know, or sometimes the chords were not the one, four, five at all. And the one, four, five got superimposed on it over time. You know, you look, listen to stuff like lead belly and yada, yada. And it's just like, wait, hold up now. You know, I've been hoodwinked, you know? So I, I found myself being reductionist about the blues based on the education I got through my classical training, because they do, you know, give you a chapter every now and then. Right, right. <laughs> but, um, but then, like, discovering the birth of the blues, I'm like, ah, oh, this is just weird as everything else. And, like, people are finding their own language within it. And so I, I developed a lot of simpatico with that side of it. And then also this other side that you're talking about, that even that even when a structure does emerge, because you can see the same thing happen in the classical era that has an awful lot of one, four, five, (laughs) you know, well, everything is one, four, five derivative in some place Mm. in that particular era. And um, and yet you see how much can emerge from it, you know, Um, and that 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 infinite variation. What I love about the blues is that like the ultimate challenge is to find out how you are, who you right, are right. in the context of that structure. And so that's, that's, you know, absolutely why, you know, I claimed that tree. I was like, ah, like now I get it, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, and it takes a long time to, I don't know, to, to figure out who you are. Like, Oh yeah. That for everybody, we're all trying and to figure always, out. Right. But that's always emerging. It's always unfolding. You know, I just watched this series called Forest of Piano. Um, It's an anime series about like kind of classical piano world. Um, I I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen it as like an option. Like, I think I saw that on Netflix to watch. It's amazing. Right. But like the whole time they're talking about finding your piano. Right. And it's the same thing as finding your key or finding your karate or like it's like like find who you are. You got like you can't express like fully until you've accepted your essence and lean into the path of discovery. And they talk about it as being like a dangerous thing. Like anything can happen. All of that control that you think you need to be a classical musician goes out the window when you find your own voice, you know? And so you, you know, you're going to miss some things. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you know, and all of that power that you think you hold by not making mistakes gives way to the power that you hold by being your authentic self. And that's indestructible. And like, mm. uh, it was just amazing. Metaphor. I was like, yes, this is what I'm talking about. That's what the path of the blues can be. You know, that's what I started um, to discover when the meditation process of playing with a band that supports you um, and like what can come out of you 
you know, also revealed. It's like, it's just such a rich journey and hopefully it never ends, you know? Definitely. And like, it's, it's interesting too, when you add a little support to what you're trying to say, how, how much like playing by yourself is one thing you can say, you can play a song by yourself, but when you got a band backing you with it, there's something more magic that happens with it. Um, to kind of like a jump into the new record. <laughs> I want to I want to make sure we talk about that before before we, before we go. But this is the exact conversation I wanted to have with you. And um, the your your podcast that you do, the folk rock diva podcast, and you have like these like what I love about it is they're different they're different lengths. You know what I mean? Like some are fifteen minutes, some are twenty, and like, but I f- it's like the same when I listen to your to your records. I feel like you've spent a fair amount of time meditating on what you want to say. Mm. And I think it's beautifully expressed. And uh, so I just wanted to put that, put that out there for people to dive into too. But anyway, so let's, so the, um, this new record (laughs) came out in pieces and like, um, what I love about it is it jumps through all these kind of genres. Like when I read that moniker, I'm like, Oh, it makes sense with this record particularly because the first one, the, like the first tune's kind of like a almost gospely with like a choir, mm-hmm. and then it dives into a like a like a tune like "If It Were You," like that's very folky, and mm-hmm. like a wrecking ball, which is kind of like this funk uh, funk rock track. Like, so kind of diving into this process, was this like a tunes you worked on, and then the band kind of brought these genres to it? Did you bring one at a time and just like add members to it? Like, uh, how was the process for this new record? So uh, this new record was born from two songs coming out kind of close to each other, um, If It Were You, and the last track on the album, which is My American Heart. Um, I know that what, um, I think what you're talking about in terms of that order is is, um, the EP, the Red Plus Blue EP. And, um, and, um, like, you're right that it came out in pieces because before the red plus blue EP, there was just the blue EP mm. and the blue EP was aimed directly at Americana listeners, folks who, you know, who identify as, you know, Americana listeners. And, um, and then I realized, um, I actually was directing that towards white audiences and that, um, that didn't reflect all of me. And so that's where the Red Plus Blue EP came in. It's just like, well, what about my daddy's church? Isn't that American too? You know, and what about these stories? Aren't they American too? Like I put Wednesday's Child on that Red Plus Blue EP because it's about my father's family. It's about my grandmother and my grandfather, like living in the middle of a cotton field. Like that's a very American story. They were sharecroppers. They managed to uh, by the land that they worked, that the, all the kids worked. Like, that's an incredibly American story yeah. that my people have been on this land longer than there's been in America, you know, um, and, and that we're fully invested in the American story, but not, our stories don't always get told. And our stories are not the only ones that don't always get told. And so, like, the whole thing that the EP was about integrating um, the parts of myself that I hide from my white colleagues, you know, like I tend to, I spent a lot of my life hiding my quote unquote blackness from them. But as a result, like the more we do that, the less informed they are about who we are. 
you know? Um, and so I wanted to break that cycle for myself. Um, and then ultimately the album, which is twice as long as the EP, um, also integrates a little more of those stories, but also brings my, my own musical language to the table. So I've got like, I don't know if you've heard the album yet, but like songs like fly and every day. And like, you know, it's like, yeah. In, in the context of all of this division, I'm just, I'm also just a human having a human experience. It's not politicized and not divided you know? And so that, that is there too. Um, I don't know how it happened, but my mother managed to raise a Patriot, um, like with all of the complexity and all of the difficulty, like having the KKK be active in my hometown when I was growing up, you know, and her actually saying, you know, actually they have the right to demonstrate because if they don't have the right to do it, then neither do we, you know, and like just sort of, being required to learn how to hold, um, you know, difficult dichotomies, like from a very early age, like, uh, that's what the record ended up being like meaning to me personally. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so those two songs were born right around the same time. Um, uh, the last American, my American heart was born like you know, literally one week before George Floyd was murdered, you know? And, um, and so after that happened, I was just like, Oh, these songs aren't just for me. Like these songs have a larger context, you know, and I kind of have to put out this record. And so I brought together a lot of songs that like, I don't get to play, um, in the clubs of new Orleans, you know, (laughs) a lot of songs that didn't require a backbeat, you know, that like, not that kind of backbeat. Um, and that, that were just story songs. And so some of the songs, a couple of songs are songs that the band plays, but we changed, uh, you know, I, I feel them and hear them differently than how the band plays them. And so I brought, those languages to the table. So like tunes like Wrecking Ball, we play it as a rock song. Uh, it turned into a funk song. Tunes like um, uh, One Shoe, uh, we, we, we play it um, a little more up-tempo and more, uh, this, this kind of brought in like the soul flavors that, like, that I found in Atlanta. And the reason I did that was because the community that I was writing about, that kid that that song is about, I've met in in Atlanta, you know, um, and so I brought that Atlanta flavor to it. It's just like because that's that's the language of the music in his American uh, journey at this time, and and it's like some people would want to toss that out and call it some. They've called it soul. They've called it funk. They've called it, uh, and they you know they're like oh it's got a jazzy end, um, but it's like all of that is Americana to me. Like right. what is Americana is different depending on what side of the tracks you live on, you know? Right. And so I did that at, you know, in a confrontational manner, like this too is Americana. Um, you know, I think the last interview I did at the end, the guy was like, well, you certainly picked your battles. And I'm like, I'm not here to fight. I'm just here to sing. Yeah, no, it doesn't like, <laughs> It doesn't come off like that. It, like it, I think that's a really powerful point because, like, it's not. There's a that everyone has a different experience, but st- like what Americana is, there's there's kind of like what what is America to to you and like, and like we all have I, I don't know. There's the the st- like the story you described, and I think that's 
that is it. You know, everyone kind of in a place where they can achieve and everyone being able to do that. But like uh, the kind of like relate to just the EP, right? So I guess I didn't get the record. But that's all right, because like once I dove into it, I'm like, oh, man, you got a lot of other records I got to listen to before we talk. <laughs> so that's OK. Um, I need to I need a context. So that was all right. Just to get the EP. But like mm-hmm. even within it, like the, the whole idea of the red and the blue part, there's this balance to that those views and uh, those views by themselves aren't the full record. Right. Like together, they're a full record together. Right. It's the whole story. And I think that goes in the bigger picture of things, too, like uh uh, jazz, blues, and and funk, and like soul music, and country, and folk, and bluegrass—they're all Americana, and they yep. belong together. And like, it, I I think it's a lot easier for people to understand that concept through music, than and I think it it you know there's no questioning that you're like yeah, I, of course there's a banjo on a bluegrass track and in a big band, you right. know like. Everyone's voice in that in that sense has a instrument wise has a place where it needs to be heard, and I think it's in the greater picture it works together and not apart. So I think I don't think what you're doing is like confrontational as much as it is just a beautiful balance of kind of showing like an empathetic approach to like we're in this all together and like so I don't I don't I don't know I, if um... I know I totally appreciate that view I you know. But the funny thing is, if a person doesn't like how you look, they can turn have a nice day into uh, a yeah. confrontation. Right. So I I learned that um that my American Heart song at the end um where I'm I, I think yeah where I literally am saying I want you to be safe and healthy. I want your children to be safe. I want you to have a nice house. You know, just yeah. like basic stuff. I learned that people see that as a protest song. I was like, I was so relieved when that that song showed up because it meant like, oh, my heart and humanity are intact. This is right. actually what for everybody. And then to go to Americana Fest and have people like refer to it as a protest song, I was like, man, I was doing my best to say I love you, <laughs> you know. But I love you for me. For some people, is confrontational. So you right. know, say okay, well. Let's confront it then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm not, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to water it down in in, in any any sense. I'm just. You, oh no, not at all. No, <laughs> I I mean what you described was exactly where I was coming from. It's exactly what I what I thought I was saying. <laughs> all right, well, because that's what I picked up. But I I tend to have a rose tinted view. I'm always mm-hmm. trying to Same. see. The, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> always trying to see the positive in uh, most things. Um, right. But that, that it's a so. Man, I forgot where I was going to go with that, but it's a beautiful collection. Oh, one thing I wanted to ask was uh, working with Lady A. Yeah. Blues legend. Can you can you kind of like describe how she fit into this record and like what was sure. it like working with her? Sure. So um, uh, that the song that she's on is called um, A Healing Inside. And I wrote that song several years ago and again, couldn't find anybody to sing it with me. And then in the middle of the pandemic, while we were uh, trying to make this record, um, I found myself in a collective of black women, uh, roots, blues, um, folk and Americana artists who had formed a support group, um, you know, to kind of emotionally make it through the pandemic when all the gigs disappeared. Um, And uh, I had met the the founder of that group at Folk Alliance a few years ago. 
Um, and, uh, and Lady A was in that group. Like, oh my God, who else was in that group? Um, Patty from Tuck and Patty was in that group. <laughs> Patty Andrus, who, like, who has been a soul hero of mine, like, from the very first time I saw her sing. I was like, now that's, you know, I was talking about my lineage earlier. She's definitely in my lineage, you know. Um, it was breathtaking to like hop on that first call and like see that face and just what (laughs) what are you doing here um and she just became such a powerful witness for me and and anita's role in that group was basically kind of the spiritual center she was um like whenever anybody was having a really difficult time she was always called upon to like pray for us in the way that i hadn't seen again since my childhood my dad's church you know she um she is so gloriously intact as a human she is so full of light she is so fierce and beautiful, glamorous, powerful human. Um, and there she was, like sitting across from us, like, and she's never, she never showed up as any less glamorous than she would be at a show. Like she, she is exactly like who she is at, at all times. And I just remember like basking in her warmth. And that gave me you know, kind of the courage to bring the song to the group and say, you know, I've got this song, I want to put it on my record. And in fact, you know, we we talked about, you know, doing a collaborative thing and using that, um, using the funds from, you know, whatever gains from that track might come um, to fund some of the sort of the resources that we need. Like a lot of Black women artists don't have people as it were they don't have booking people a lot of them don't have management and it's like we're out here just all you know all of these women are just as you know self-starting as i've ever been if not more so and um and they're still without help and so we're like well maybe we could hire some help if we had if we started a fund um to kind of you know outsource some of our um administrative needs or be a, a a booking proxy or you know just so we had already talked about that. And so I brought this song to the table and be like, well, maybe this can be one of our first collaborations. Um, and, you know, several of the women stepped up and, and Lady A was the first one to deliver her tracks. And, and she said, you know, she has this prominent lead part that's kind of on the bottom of everything, right? And when she sent me that, she's like, you know, you don't have to use it. I just kind of, I just threw this in, you know, just, just cause I was feeling it, but you know, I get it if you don't, you know, if you're not into it. And that became the heart of the song for me. Her interjections became like, you know, the source of the power, like of, of those words, you know? Um, and it's, I think it's the heart of the album and you haven't heard it yet. I've got to rectify that right away. I've got to send you the link right yeah, away. I want I want the the whole link. You know, Howard probably probably sent it to me, but I think it might have got lost in like the confirmation thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like that's that's so cool. Like because if there was a booking person, you know how much easier some parts of the day would be. Like, right. It, 
Because <laughs> that's, that's a never-ending checking in. If someone was doing that, that would make everyone's life easier. Right. But that, that's right. so cool that you're gonna you're taking like this creative outlet and turning it to something good for the greater good. And like I feel that's that's your essence, and like that's what you've done with a lot of your career and a lot of your activism. And like I want to, I know you've been super busy while I've been talking, so I, I want to wrap it right here and just say thank you for talking with me. I've been diving into I've been excited diving into your career and just you've done you've done so many inspiring things so this is a this is the conversation I wanted to have so I appreciate your time and thank you for uh talking with me man um, look you went all the way back like you went all <laughs> the way back to the beginning so I, I'm not gonna hold back with you <laughs> well thanks yeah.